I always joke in this documentary, we ask three questions. What's an awful waffle? What's in the green slime? And what's in that powder that they throw on the fire? One of them does get answered. Yeah, One of them yeah. does get answered. Yeah, yeah. So, so 90s kids listening, you're going to have to watch the documentary, The Orange Years, to find out which of the three you yes. find the answer Because we can't spoil it. We're not going to spoil right. it. <laughs> but one of them does definitively get answered. Absolutely. I think in a pretty in a pretty funny way. Talk to the end. What's up, everybody? This is Sarah, your host of Talk to the End Podcast, a podcast about the 90s, everything you love about the 90s, and more. Hello, 90s kids and 90s kids at heart. How are you doing? What are you doing this week? I'm feeling really good, you know? I feel like things are kind of starting to go, to like, progress. I don't want to say go back to normal because I don't think we'll ever go back to normal, and I am I think that's a good thing. We have, all of, you know, a lot of things that... Um, are changing and for the better and we're going in a good direction and I just I feel very optimistic right now um and I feel really good and I also feel really really good because I have a really great freaking episode for you this week I cannot freaking wait I know I've said that like three times I cannot wait for you to hear it we actually were lucky enough to sit down with Scott Barber. He is one of the directors of The Orange Years, The Nickelodeon Story, which released last year. Um, He had actually been working on it for a few years before that. Um, But The Orange Years is a fantastic documentary about the Nickelodeon network. It tells a story about its humble origins, the SNCC years, um, and even to today. And, you know, one of the things we focus on, you know, obviously is, is, just that really nostalgic 90s Nickelodeon community. I mean, we touch on it in the episode. You have to listen to it. It is one of the most nostalgic conversations I've ever had. Um, And it's just really, really fun. It's a really fun um, trip back down memory lane to the Nickelodeon days. And um, you know, I even think parents, if you had kids in the 90s or you just existed in the 90s, you remember Nickelodeon, you remember it as a community, not just a TV phenomenon, but as an actual community. Um, so please make sure you uh, stick around and listen to this episode. You will not regret it. But before we do, I wanted to also make sure you're following us on social media. You can find us at TTTH pod on Twitter, talk to the hand pod on Instagram. Our email is talk to the hand pod at gmail.com and our website's talk to the hand And you know what? I just just revamped our website so I could add Eric because he wasn't on there as a co-host because um, naturally I started this, you know, by myself. And then he just jumped in with me because he's so freaking good on, um, you know, on these episodes with me. So, yeah, go check it out. Also, you have a few weeks left to leave that five-star review. If you want to be entered into our TTTH giveaway for five-star reviews, just make sure you leave a comment in your review with your name so we know to call you out. Um, But the winner will get a really fun 90s swag box with a Talk to the Hand pod dad hat and gigapet and fun things that will kickstart your 90s nostalgia. So make sure you um, leave that review and leave a name with it. And one other thing I wanted to mention too, if you want to be a guest on the podcast, 
I know I've said this a few times, but I'm going to keep mentioning it. We do have a contact form on our website. If you go to talktothehandpod.com, there is a, um, a form that you can fill out if you are interested in being a guest or if you just have a topic idea. Um, I know I've said it many times before. We want to get all kinds of different experiences from the 90s on this show because I am just one person. I had one kind of experience, and I know that there are so many other different kinds of experiences, and we want to hear them all, like literally all of them. I mean, that's what we're here for. So if you think you have what it takes and you have a cool story, and I'm sure you do. I mean, that's why you listen to this podcast, because you're a cool 90s kid, right? So fill it out, send it in, and we'll uh, we'll catch up. Okay, so without further ado, here is our episode with Scott Barber. Listeners, we have a very, very incredible special guest today. Um, we have Scott Barber, the co-director of the incredible documentary that came out last year, late last year, called The Orange Years. Hi, Scott. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, y'all. I'm, I'm really excited to, to be here today. Yeah, yeah. we're so excited to have you. And first of all, we just wanted to say, I know we said it before, but we just both absolutely loved the documentary. Um, We were sitting, sitting here, we watched it twice and we were sitting here and just got chills from all the things that we didn't remember like through the years, but just came rushing back. It was just incredible. Um, so the level of precision attention detail is just incredible. So congratulations for an, a really, really amazing documentary. Oh, well, thank you. I really appreciate, first of all, I just appreciate you watching it. So thanks for that. And uh, <laughs> I really appreciate the kind words. That's great. You know, it was certainly um, a fun thing to do, to do a documentary about, you know, um, yeah. It was great to get to work on a project that I was I was excited about the work that everybody was doing, but I was also excited about the subject. You know, Nickelodeon was pretty personal to me and pretty personal to Adam as well, my co-director on it. And then as we started kind of developing this team of other people, of producers and uh, camera people and other artists, it was personal to everybody. You know, it, it was crazy to see how many people, all of us were just excited to work on this because it meant so much to us. Uh, as children, you know, Absolutely. so it was, it was great. It was great. That's so, so interesting. So, so when you say that it, it meant a lot to you, you know, all as uh, children, I mean, were you guys all then Nick kids? I mean, did you, you know, grow up, you know, watching this stuff? Big time. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, Adam, my co-director on the film, we're actually childhood friends. Oh, so, great. Great. Yeah. So we were friends watching these shows together back then. So that made it even more special like we, we kept saying, like, what if what if we could go back in time and and tell our like 10 year old selves what we're all the people that we're going to get to meet because we're freaking out as grown men, you know, oh, yeah. like, we're like, could you imagine if you were to go, hey, in one weekend, you're going to meet like Budnick and Mark Summers and Donkey Lips <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and Elisa Reyes and Lori Beth Denberg, like all in like the course of like five days. That's really going to happen to you. We'd be losing our minds. Um, <laughs> oh my God. Well, we were losing really- our minds watching it. It was, <laughs> you got such a cast there. I mean, you got, you got all the heavy hitters. Thanks. Yeah. It was a, it was, a, that was the hardest part, especially um, being our first film where yeah. we weren't able to say, Hey, we're the guys that brought you this. Um, it was our first film. And you know, it was, we knew we were going to have to get a lot of different people for this to feel authentic. And they're also different people from like different shows. They're not connected. You know, some people knew each other, Uh um, but a lot of people uh, didn't know each other, you know, like 
Salute Your Shorts filmed in uh, Los Angeles. Uh-huh. Uh, and then Hey Dude filmed in Arizona. Yeah. Are You Afraid of the Dark filmed in uh, Canada. And then, you know, like a lot of shows were filmed in Florida. So it's not like they all knew each other. So once we got one show, that got us another show. It was a real challenge to get all these different people. But, uh, you know, I think it shows uh, how powerful Nickelodeon was on both sides of the screen, not just for people like us that were fans, but how many people said yes to do our documentary because they very well could have said no. I think it shows they were they were just as nostalgic as we were Absolutely. To, to talk about it. And, you know, you hear a lot of child actors, they don't want to talk about stuff back then because maybe they had a bad experience or they just don't want to be thought of that way. And I think it, it shows you how um, what a great environment Geraldine Laybourne and her team created that oh, yeah. all these people all these years later are like, yes, I will definitely sit down and talk to you guys that have never made a movie uh, in your life. I will definitely give you like an hour or two hours of my time because I love they, I love Nickelodeon that much. That that shows you what what they created. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, that, that's incredible. I mean, they, they really created, you know, like a, a family, a really. Kid world. I mean, and it was it was a kid world, but it, it was like even in the early days of Nick where they wanted it to be interactive. I mean, I think this just goes to show that throughout the decades, it truly still is on a completely interactive community yeah. at this point. I mean, you know, like you said, getting the the different cast members and stuff like that. And today still people are so nostalgic for it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the family, it extends to even like us, right? Like we've never met, but I guarantee you once we start talking about what shows meant something to us, it automatically bonds you to somebody right. else talking right. about it. Cause we all experience this, together and it meant something to us you know so it really is it's like this like we love it like the amount of love that we've got has been incredible you know because i mean the truth is when you make a documentary that's a like kind of about fandom or about something it can be really good or it can be really bad you know like you hear like imagine people talking about like their favorite star wars film right like people could get into a fist fight over that you know because they're you know, it's just kind of all over the place. But Nickelodeon is the opposite. It doesn't matter. Like, I might be like, oh, my favorite show is Are You Afraid of the Dark? And you are you might be like, oh, my favorite show is Pete and Pete. We'd be like, oh, cool. Yeah, oh, that cool. one was yeah. good, too. <laughs> There's not like a hell no, that's not the best show. Like, it's just this positive environment that we're all still enjoying and connects us to this very day 30 years later. Right. Or, you know, however many years later. The um, some of the actors and and even some of the people behind the scenes. Um, I just I really got that that vibe. Even Larissa Olenek, when you were interviewing her, and she even got nostalgic. And she, you know, wax poetic about um, about Nickelodeon and how proud that she was part of those years. So it's really cool that you got such a, a wide cast um, of of characters there. So what what I know you you said um, the two of you grew up uh, watching. Nickelodeon, but what what was the inspiration, the motivation behind creating um, this documentary? Was it nostalgia and fascination? Like, what where where did that inspiration come from? Yeah, so it's funny, Adam and I. You know, we were childhood friends, and then you know we kind of both lived our own lives, and then reconnected thanks to social media. I, I won't say which one because it would date me, but <laughs> it's <face>. not. <laughs> oh, face. that's awesome! <laughs> that's great. <laughs> yeah, um, and you know, we both had. Uh, kind of develop skills in the film industry. You know, I, I have a video production company with my wife and we film a bunch of cool stuff. And he um, really was a really talented journalist and writer. 
And so we, we, yeah, we kind of were like, wow, that's kind of cool. We, we, we have a lot of the same skills, but we also had a lot of different skills and we wanted to make a movie together. And um, so, you know, we had written a couple of scripts and had kind of tried to go about it like the quote unquote right way, you know, of, of becoming writers and directors. And it, we didn't have a lot of luck. And we said, we, let's just make a movie. Like we will make it, you know, we're not going to try to rely on somebody else. Like let's make our own movie. And we're like, okay, well, you know, we've never made a film before and we don't have a huge budget. What can we do? And at the time we were kind of working on a, someone else had hired us to make a documentary about this school. And we're like, we're kind of making these documentaries for other people. What if, what if instead of, at the time we didn't consider ourselves documentarians, we can, you know, we wanted to make more narrative features, uh, that kind of thing, you know, and we're like, we should make a documentary. That'd be kind of cool. You know, we could do it. We knew we had the skills and, and, and the budget would be more something that we could achieve, you know? Um, and, uh, and so we said, yeah, let's make a documentary. And so we kind of started thinking, what can we make a documentary about? You know, we, 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 we knew we wanted to make something that, that, that would have a, a fan base since we didn't have a fan base, you know, you go, Hey, Scott Barber and Adam Sweeney are making a documentary. Do you want to be a part of that? And people go, who, you know, but, <laughs> but then you go, Hey, we're making a Nickelodeon documentary and people are like, Oh, I'm in, you know? <laughs> And, and so, but we knew that we wanted to make something that also had a story, you know, not, not just a fandom documentary that was just a walk down memory lane, even though obviously we're fans of nostalgia and the orange years has a lot of nostalgia. We knew it had to have something else. And it was once we kind of started, we had three or four ideas we were bouncing around. And then once we, we were, we started doing some like preliminary research on all of them. And once we found out about Geraldine Laybourne, we were like, ah, that's what the Nickelodeon documentary will oh, yeah. actually be about. It'll be about her and her work. And then it's like, okay, that's the one we need to do. Cause we're already, um, we're already passionate about it. It means something to us. So we're going to give 120% because we're passionate about it. And also um, there's a story there, you know, because I don't think a lot of people, um, you know, people within the entertainment industry might know who she is for sure. Mm-hmm. She's a powerhouse. But there are a lot of kids out there that were like, I was raised on Nickelodeon. And you go, oh, yeah, you're a Geraldine Laybourn fan. And they maybe would go, who is that? I don't, I don't know who that is. And we wanted to change that. So yeah. then we decided this is what we're doing, and it's going to focus around her work. That's incredible. Yeah, just – I mean, that's one thing I think your documentary did so well for me is um, – I got to see kind of behind the curtain and, and how I grew up, um, you know, part of this Nick community and the message of, you know, being a kid sucks sometimes it's, it's lonely and scary and sad. And here's a place that you can feel comfortable and feel you and be authentic. And, um, and to learn that there were so many powerhouse women behind that too, was something that was just the cherry on top for, I'm getting chills, just like that feeling of, of, nostalgia and just adoration and, and admiration for Nickelodeon. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. I mean, to get to meet those people, like it was, it was very humbling. I mean, Geraldine Laybourne was the last person that we interviewed. Yeah. And I mean, it was just like a surreal experience. You know, we've been working on this documentary about her forever. And, and I, you know, I've never been in the presence of somebody like that in my entire life. Yeah. And uh, to get to be on somebody who's like a real, like, like a visionary, like a wizard, you know, was amazing. And, you know, it's one of those things where it did, it felt when you're watching it, it just felt organic. Like they say, people that are really good at their job, make it look easy. It, 
And so that's what we really wanted to do is we all fell in love with these shows and we're all so nostalgic for them. Uh, you know, like, for example, I watched the Mickey Mouse Club when I was a kid, but I'm not I mean, it was just something I watched and consumed. Yeah. But when I talk about Pete and Pete or if I talk about Are You Afraid of the Dark, it's like a different thing. You know, it's like, yeah, remember that? And we wanted to find out why and, and show that it wasn't just an accident. There's a it felt it looked meticulous or, or it looked uh, effortless, uh -huh. but it was actually meticulous, meticulous. It was these people who really knew what they were doing, who put a lot of thought into connecting with kids in a different way. And it's one of those things where you're like, ah, now that you, you see, like, of course, it was women that did it. <laughs> like, you know, it was it's people teachers. that yeah. it was teachers. It was yeah. people that that were outsiders, you know, that were like. We're going to do it our way. We don't care what you have to say. There's a line in there. I just love it. And Sweeney, who was another amazing person, she was kind of like Geraldine Laybourne's um, second in command. Yeah, I love her interviews. Yeah. Yeah. She went on to be the president of the Disney Channel. And now she's <laughs> like high up at Netflix. You know, it's like crazy. So cool. But, uh, you know, someone's like, honey, I'll never sell to you. I just love <laughs> stuff like that. That yeah. it's like, you know, that guy later on was like, Damn it, I messed up so bad. <laughs> and, um, and Vanessa Coffey, who is basically the creator of all the Nicktoons, you know, the yeah. reason we have all the Nicktoons. She Doug Rugrats, Ren and Stimpy. All of that stuff. And really, when you think about it, that's the reason we have all this cool stuff now, like Steven Universe and uh, uh, um, all these cool creator-driven artistic cartoons kind of started there with her. And I love the fact that, like, she had actually quit um, – the animation business because she couldn't deal with the, the 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 amount of sexism and just horrible attitude she dealt with. And she it, this isn't in the documentary, but she told me that like all these people that pushed her around then once she was big at Nickelodeon were like, hi, can I sell you can I sell you one of my cartoons I'm working on? And she's like, nope. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's Box pretty cool. You know? Yeah, it's not gonna happen, buddy. Like yeah. you're an, you're you're a jerk, you know. Yeah, so that's I think that's awesome. That's so so cool. Yeah, but I I think that that paved the way a lot for that whole mentality of we're gonna do it on our own terms. We're gonna do it our way. And they even went through, like we mentioned a little bit ago with the teachers. I mean, they they went to the the elementary school and you know like interviewed the kids. I mean, they wanted yeah. to find out exactly what it was like to be a kid. And, you know, I think it was Jim Jenkins that had actually said that, you know, a lot of kids weren't the most popular, but they weren't also the least popular. They were right, right. in the they middle. Were just like right in the middle. And that's how they built shows like Doug and Clarissa, Clarissa and yeah. Alex Mack. And that's so cool. I mean, even, you know, back to, you know, the, the creative team being, you know, these very strong women. I mean, look at some of those early icons on their scripted TV shows. It was Clarissa Explains It All and Alex Mack. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Very cool. And it didn't feel like they were doing it. It just felt like as a young boy at the time, it didn't feel uh, like they were, you know, using those girls or mm -hmm. trying to be part of a fake revolution. Mm -hmm. Right, right. I mean, Clarissa or Alex Mack could have been a boy character Mm -hmm. uh, it probably wouldn't have been as cool, but it could have been. They're like, hey, let's just make it a girl. So it's different, yeah. you know, and and they treated those girls like, um, you know, like they say it in there where they, they weren't just uh, caricatures waiting yeah. for the boy. Yeah. Waiting around for the boy to call like mm -hmm. 
anybody could relate to Clarissa or Alex Mack, anybody, yeah. you know? Cause like you said, Clarissa was just like Doug. She wasn't the most popular kid, but she also wasn't a dork. She was just like most of us are, we're, we're somewhere in the middle. We might have somebody that bullies us, but we might also, you know, we're not like the, 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 the nerdy person at the very bottom. Yeah. Um, and I just love that, you know, and Geraldine Laybourne has that line where, um, uh, up until that point, the, there was a motto that girls will watch shows um, with boys in them, but boys will not watch a show yeah. with girls in them. And, and she said the reason she thought that w- was not true, that boys absolutely will watch a show with a girl, mm-hmm. with a girl which we all know is true. Totally. You know? <laughs> um, but it was because the shows that were made for girls back then were stupid. They were they were targeting girls in a negative way, you know, right. like... Right. It wasn't boys. It wasn't little boys or little girls. It was the 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 the, the men that were making these shows uh-huh. for girls that didn't really understand girls at all. Like, yeah. hey, let's just throw a lot of pink and have her sitting by the phone. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and she, it's like she no. needs a pink Corvette and she lives by the beach. Yeah. I mean, as a girl and growing up in the nineties, I loved Clarissa so much and I related to her and I did have guy friends that related to her too and we could all watch it together and you know after school like if everyone was out at the chill spot in the neighborhood and hey Clarissa's on you know let's all go back to someone's house and order pizza and watch Clarissa like it was so relatable and so just it just spoke to us it was it was so pure and I think I I really liked Clarissa you know in particular because I had an older sister so I was the younger brother <laughs> on the show that, you know, I was, my sister was in the middle, you know, like Clarissa was, but I was still a little brother. So I was yeah. still a little snot, you know? <laughs> right, and, right. It's just know, all so relatable. It, it was relatable to all of us. And I, I think even now, you know, that still resonates. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So what were some of the moments that you would say made you like the most like what surprised you when you were working on this project? Did anything really jump out at you that you weren't expecting? There were some things, you know, and I will say one thing is that we, we tried to research as much as we could. Uh So uh, we had our story that we thought we wanted to tell based on, you know, we would read interviews with all these people before we would actually go meet them and we would study their IMDB and, or whatever, as many articles as we could. So we kind of had pieced the story together beforehand so the overall story was there um but i think yeah the um the things that surprised me were um i would say some of the very early years like that whole, there's a whole part about cube yeah that mm-hmm. everyone had to rein me in because i could make a whole documentary about cube i love <laughs> weird, i love weird like 80s technology that didn't take off you know mm-hmm. like betamax or like laser disc i love uh, it so, I, and I love working with that footage, that old looking footage. Yeah. Um, so I was surprised by that. And I was surprised by um, just some of the early Nickelodeon stuff, mm-hmm. like um, before maybe I started watching, like when they were licensing shows from other people. Yeah. Like you can't do that on television. Yes. Now I, I did. That was the first, that was a show that I watched, okay. but I didn't know anything before that, like how it, how it got on there and how, before Jerry Laybourne, how Nickelodeon was on its way out, they were not doing yeah. well. Uh, that fur, they call it like the green vegetables years, like mm-hmm. before they got the orange logo. I didn't know much about that at all. And so that, I, that surprised me and how negative people were. Like, it's so weird to think of 
people turning down Nickelodeon. Now, everybody mm -hmm. who's creating kids programming would kill to get a meeting with Nickelodeon. But the fact that they had people that are like, yeah, uh, no, we're not going to work with some stupid little cable channel. You know, <laughs> er everyone just wanted to work on the broadcast, you know, ABC, NBC, CBS, stuff yeah. like that. They, they really thought this thing was going to be a fly by night, like flash yeah. in the pan. Oh, that fascinated really me. Yeah, it truly is an underdog story. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing we really wanted to tell was now it's right up there with everybody else, Disney, PBS. But how did it get there? Uh -huh. Because it's hard to it's hard to think of it ever not being there. But it totally. was, you know, it it was an underdog. And and that's kind of one thing we wanted to be really careful of is like, I feel like, you know, um, as I'm getting older, um, not being one of those older people that says everything was better when they were a kid. You know, I feel like everyone's like, Music was music's garbage now is better when I was a kid. Movies are garbage now. They were better when I was, you know, everything is always garbage now. And it was everyone thinks that whenever they grew up was best. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that can be true, but we wanted to be careful not to do that, you know. And so we're like, we're not saying that these are the best years of Nickelodeon. If other people think that cool, we, but we think we just think something truly magical and special happened. But um, it gave us kind of an end point. Like once they created SpongeBob. They were a juggernaut. They were yeah. on par with everybody else. So there's no reason to carry. I mean, it would be cool to do a sequel, but that's the story we wanted to tell. How did they get to that point mm -hmm. the, of the, the era that we're living in now where SpongeBob is actually, I think, more recognizable to young kids than Mickey Mouse, you know, which mm -hmm. is crazy. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that I mean, that ties back to, you know, when they were trying to, you know, market the network to different studios to get on the lot. And they looked at Universal and said, we could be your mouse. Yeah. I, mean, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think I think more kids might actually recognize that green or that orange splat of yeah. Nickelodeon. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, they got their mouse. They, they, they have it now. Like he uh, is. I mean, kids will go nuts when they hear that song, when they see SpongeBob. I mean, it's crazy. And, and that brings up a good point. Um, I remember Nickelodeon Studios. I never got to go, but I remember it. But to hear the, the logistics of how it became a, a reality, the fact that they were like, well, you got Universal Studios that's competing with Disney, but they don't really have anything for kids. We'll be that. Perfect. We'll be that thing. So, uh, and it gave them kind of a home base because it was cool. I think it was cool how they were filming shows all over America. It gave it a more real feeling, but it was cool for them to get, it was neat as a kid to think about all these shows being filmed in this one place and you could go there and you could see the shows being filmed and maybe get to be That's in the audience. so cool yeah. how they did such an interactive, like experiential tour for kids. Too. Yeah, it right. Like a, it was like a place to go, like a pil you make a pilgrimage there practically. Yes, totally. So I, I think this might be a good time to mention <laughs> that actually I did get to go there uh, in in 1991. Uh, my oh, my wow. family, uh, we made the trip up to Universal Studios, not because of that. You know, my my mother yeah. had family there, um, but we got to go to Universal Studios and we got to go to the Nickelodeon lot. And I mean, I was very, very young at the time, but I mean, all I can remember was that it was pretty much like going to heaven. <laughs> I mean, that was it. I mean, oh, I love that. 
I wish I could have gone. I didn't get to. I remember entering all of the like giveaways and sweepstakes. And I remember the um, the address, you know, I, w- I would send everything to the Orlando, Florida address. I just I mean, I remember yeah. some pictures of it, but I never, never got to experience it. Me neither. I wish I could. And that kind of brings up a point like that we kind of go into in the doc is it wasn't just about the shows. Like you didn't want to watch Are You Afraid of the Dark or You Can't Do the Television. You just wanted to watch Nickelodeon. Yep. It was just yeah. a place you could go. And then because of Nickelodeon Studios and like you said, those sweepstakes and stuff like that, it became something even bigger than a network. It was just this whole big thing that was childhood. You know, you could buy GAC. You could yeah. buy Nickelodeon Magazine. You wanted that orange tape. It became it came into the physical world uh, where it was just this whole big thing that 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 felt authentic. And I think that's interesting that their number one toy wasn't an action figure. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it was Gak. It wasn't yeah. even it wasn't <laughs> even it wasn't even from one of their shows, really. Yeah, it just that really personifies Nickelodeon because it's it is like you said, it's not about necessarily the individual shows. It's about the squicky, you know, the orange goo that makes a fart yeah. sound when you push it into the like that is Nickelodeon in a nutshell. Yep. That's I love it. Yeah. That's so freaking, that's it's, brilliant. Well, it's, it's almost kind of funny that you guys say in the documentary that, you know, there were a lot of shows that were going into syndication at the time that were just commercials for toys, you know, like G.I. Joe, uh, My Little Pony, uh, Where's Waldo, stuff like that. And here's Nickelodeon that didn't want to do yeah, that. Yeah, they didn't want to license. Yeah. And that's so they so made their own original programming. And then it was almost kind of like this weird, ironic twist that their biggest toy then just became splat that sparks yeah. when you put it in a package. Yeah. I mean, cool. that's like the like that's yeah. like the anti toy, but it was the perfect right. toy. And I think we even mentioned it in the documentary where when they went to Mattel, they said, "What do you have that everyone else turned down?" Yeah. They're like, yeah. ah. We got this weird thing. And, and that's so true, you know, and it's it, that's not a dig at other cartoons. That's literally what they were. Yeah. Mm-hmm. These companies would have a toy and they would go, okay, well, how do we get kids excited about the toy? We'll make a show. The show literally was a, just a commercial mm-hmm. for the toy, which, I mean, I still loved Transformers as a kid. I still loved, you know, those shows. It's not a knock at them, but they, I mean, that's a fact. It's not an opinion. Yeah. They were just a commercial for a toy. Like the Ninja Turtles, there's a great Ninja Turtles doc called Turtle Power that was put out by a really talented documentarian called Randall Lobb. His name is Randall Lobb. And it's great. And they go into that where it was like, yeah, they they had the toy and they're like, how do we get the toy? Well, let's make a show. That show turned out to be awesome. But (laughs) but the fact of the matter is it was was just a commercial. And that was something Nickelodeon wrestled with because they didn't want to do merchandising. And that's what, when I talked to Ger- Geraldine Laybourne and talked to Vanessa Coffey, they didn't want to market stuff to kids. But if kids were asking for stuff, mm-hmm. they were going to give it to them. And these kids wanted Ren and Stimpy toys. They yeah. wanted um, Rugrats toys. So they're like, well, if they're, if they're asking for it, then we'll give it to them. Um, cause it might seem to some hypocritical that it's like, oh yeah, you guys talk about how you're not for toys, but then y'all got into merchandising pretty heavily too. And they said, yeah, but the difference is the mark, the merchandise isn't the priority. Yeah. The right. priority isn't to buy the toy. The priority is to watch the show and be entertained. And Hey, if you want a toy, we do have that too. That's so cool. I could just picture, um, you know, marketing and advertising executives coming in and being like, oh, we got all these cool ideas. You could make so, and that's not the point. They're like, yeah. 
No, and I can just picture how many like scoffs and eye rolls they got when they were yeah. not. We're just nah. We're not gonna make these toys until they asked us for them. Like that's 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 so cool. That's the essence of Nickelodeon. Yeah, I mean they were turning. I think in the documentary, it's Mark Summers that says that they got offered like uh, several million dollars to to do a a double dare cereal, and they're like, no. Yeah. We're not doing a freaking cereal. <laughs> I mean, how, how many people would have walked away for that from that much money? Yeah. I mean, yeah. really? Yeah. You know, In the era of putting people, you know, Olympic athletes on yeah. the covers and, you know, like that, that's, that's yeah. truly incredible. I mean, I'm just, it, saying, I, I would love a double dare cereal. I mean, you yeah. know, maybe yeah, the green or, or orange <laughs> or something. And maybe like, instead of a prize in the box and some of them, there's a little flag kind of like a yes. <laughs> I, mean, I, I love it. it. I mean, it, it would have been so easy to do, but they didn't do it because that's not mm -hmm. what they were about. And Which I think it yeah, that they, speaks volumes. They really invested in children. And that's yeah. why, you know, we're still talking about it today. And someone yeah. can make a whole documentary about it. And the documentary goes on to be places and stuff. You know, like another example, money wise and how they invested in kids was the show Guts. Yeah. You know, everybody wants to make shows as cheap as possible. That's why we're seeing these reality shows today not not digging on it but because they're the cheapest thing to make you know you just get a house you don't have to pay any actors you just let them live there for free or whatever and you have a show and it's the cheapest way to make it and uh, everybody is always looking and that was absolutely that think about how big that auditorium was yeah. that was a super expensive show to make you know mm -hmm. but that's what they you know th that show very well could have been filmed on a small little sound stage or something like that yeah. but they they Geraldine Laybourne told us, she said, we wanted it to be huge, you know, so it felt like a place kids could really go and to show kids like, hey, we're really going to do something special for you. And on one hand, you can go, well, you're wasting all this money because you could make another show for like a quarter of the cost. And yeah, they could have, but it wouldn't be a show that would be we'd be talking about. Exactly. 30 years later. Exactly. I Yep. And all of the, the footage that you got from that show, I, I mean, the memories just came flooding back, going up the nose. Was that going up the nose to pull the, the green flag? Like that is yeah. incredible. It's, yeah, I, I loved Guts. Okay. So on that note, what are your favorite, I, like what would be your top favorite um, Nickelodeon shows that you maybe grew up watching or have they changed? Yeah. That's a really good question. Um, and they did change a little bit. Like as I was getting, getting to interview the creators of these shows were, it, that was an amazing experience. I believe it. Like yeah. the getting to interview the stars was cool because I watched them on TV. Uh -huh. You know, it's like, oh my God, this is Alex freaking Mac. I can't believe this, you know? <laughs> and and uh, a, a side story about that. Um, you know, my wife, Stephanie was so incredibly supportive of me um, getting, you know, making this film. And, um, you know, she goes out to New York for the premiere. We're hanging out at Geraldine Laybourne invites us to her, um, like her, like condo in Manhattan. There's all these wow. huge, there's all these huge <laughs> people there. Like that were like presidents of Nickelodeon and MTV and all this stuff. And my wife, literally, she flew into New York. This was for the debut of the film. If I didn't say that it was at Doc NYC. Yeah. And uh, my wife flies out and she's like, I look, I keep looking over at her to make sure she's, you know, she's doing okay. Cause we kind of got separated a couple of times at the party where some people are talking to her and she's always just like charming these people, no matter how big they are, you know, she's just like 
fits in. She literally just got off the plane from Texas to New York City and is hobnobbing with all these people. And then Larissa <laughs> Olenek, Alex Mack, comes yeah. comes into the party and she's just like, ah! <laughs> like just lost her mind. Like she's like, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I can't believe I'm talking to you right now. Like, I, I can't even <laughs> pretend to hold it back. <laughs> yeah. And, and what's funny is my wife wasn't even a big Nickelodeon uh, fan. It was more from that movie, 10 Things I Hate About You. I, that, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That was a movie she loved. And she was like, I'm sorry, this isn't real. And and Larissa only was like, it's, 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 trust me, it's fine. Like it's real. It's, but it was just real cool. Um, anyway, I know that was a little bit of a tangent there. That's I just love a story. That. I love to tell that she held it together and was just killing it, crushing it at this party. Everybody wanted to talk to her. And then she just loses her mind when she saw Larissa Olenek. That's so cool. But, I would too. Honestly, I would too. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't, we barely held it together for meeting <laughs> some of these people. Mark Summers was a big one for me just because, yeah. I mean, he was, he was it, you know, but you know, I did change getting to talk to the, the, the actors was cool for that reason, because you're just geeking out, you watch yeah. them, but the creators, it was cool. Cause you got to hear the process of how they came up with these shows mm-hmm. and hear all those behind the scenes stories that a lot of the actors didn't remember because they were just children, you know, and they've gone on to do all these other crazy things since then. Um, So my favorite shows, they are my favorites from even before I did this, but some of them did change a little bit after getting to talk to the creators and hearing the process. One is um, definitely, are you afraid of the dark? I love that show. I love horror films. And I think that's might've been where it started. I think that's the really, um, that show is crazy to think that they had the guts to go, hey, we were going to make a show that scares the crap out of kids. <laughs> yeah, like, like really scares kids. It really yeah. scares them. And a lot of those did not end happy at all. They yeah. ended on a bad note where the kids were trapped in another dimension or trapped in the body of a lizard or whatever. It was really <laughs> crazy. And also, you know, the fact that DJ McHale, the, the creator of that show, you know, you think any of these other shows, which were also amazing, once you cast your core four, five, six kids, you're good, you know? But he had to cast new people every episode because yeah. it was a different cast every episode. Yeah. And, and and it goes to show how well he did because how many of those people went on to be super famous, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. Nev Campbell was in an episode. Yeah. Ryan Gosling was in an episode. I mean, he cast a lot of people before they were famous. And um, I love that show. I love Pete and Pete. That wasn't one of my favorite shows when I was a little kid. And it's one, it's still like you watch it and you're like, this is like Wes Anderson meets uh, David Lynch, two of my oh, favorite directors. Hey, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And it's That's just perfect. so good. And I didn't get to meet Iggy Pop whenever I was making this, but I wish I had. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. We forgot Iggy Pop was in it. And when we saw, we're like, we need to watch this again. <laughs> yeah. And the fact that. Yeah, uh, he plays a square guy. It's so yeah. cool. Like he's like, I don't want you hanging out with those troublemakers. It's just genius. <laughs> you know, I didn't get that joke when I was a kid because I didn't know who Iggy Pop was. But now <laughs> watching it, I'm like, oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. You know? And Michael Stipe, and yeah, there's some real like so many big like yeah. it, it, Debbie Harry even. Yeah. I mean, yeah. They got some. They got some pretty big musicians on that show. That's so cool. Yeah. It was amazing, and the theme song to that is just so good. Yeah. You know, I, I like the fact that he just got a real indie rock band that he liked. Uh, yeah. Will McRobb, uh, it, one of the creators, he's like, oh, I just liked him and yeah. asked him if they wanted to do it. And they did it. Yeah. Yeah. That goes to show you, too. I think one thing that 
the entertainment industry does now is when they find something that works, they want to recreate it. Yeah. You're like, oh, that's cool. Make me 10 more of those. Mm -hmm. But you look at like, Are You Afraid of the Dark, Pete and Pete, Double Dare, Clarissa. They really don't have hardly anything in common other than they're just cool. Yeah. Like there's, there's no, they're all totally different shows. Yeah. The the theme songs are all different, you know? Yeah. That's a really good point too. They, they, the consistency is in the heart and soul and the connection to literally everyone that watches it. It's amazing what can happen when you just hire good people and let them do their thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I loved that about, about Nickelodeon. And you really did a good job at, at showing that, that the, the, top level people really weren't looking over your shoulders and right. it, and it, it it wasn't impulsive but it sound, it looked like like there it was so calculated like you're saying yes. it looked impulsive but it's not it that yeah. that was just such a magical energy um within yeah. the top ranks and and the creators um and it, and it shows you how awesome Jerry Layborn is because if anybody probably could and should micromanage people it would be her because she's yeah. a genius yeah. <laughs> But she didn't, you know, yeah, she was yeah. like, hey, you just make your show. You just, do, I hired you for a reason, make it, you know? And unless somebody did something insane, they didn't really step in, you know, they just let them do it. And it shows in those. It does. But my, my final one uh, is an animated show and it's Doug. Oh. Yeah. I, I like Doug a lot as a kid. And I feel like it, after I met Jim Jenkins, like, it, there's a line in there where like Jim Jenkins is Doug. Somebody says that yeah. in our documentary just, and that he's just the most lovely, nice man. And like, I got to meet him and hang out with him. And that is actually an understatement. Like he is just <laughs> incredible. Oh, wow. And he's super cool too. Like he somehow is wholesome and sweet and also like really badass and like <laughs> cool and into like really crazy art stuff too. Like he's like the best of both worlds. He's so awesome. Like yeah. that guy is the coolest guy. He's like my hero. Yeah. Really. Like after I met him, I was like, I just want to grow up and be like you. Like, that's <laughs> what I want. You that's know, his, I got to meet his wife and he was like, got all giddy whenever she came, like, <laughs> like someone on their first date. And, you know, I mean, they were married before Doug came out. So, yeah. you know, it's been a minute. Yeah. And I was like, you are who I want to be, man. Yeah. And his life is his real life. Patty Manny's. Yeah, right. He he got her. He got Patty Mayonnaise in real life. Finally. And and, I, and yeah, and and I, I love Doug, and I think it's such a sophisticated show. And I think the fact that it, I think it gets overlooked because it's not edgy. Ren and Stampy and Rugrats and Rocco's Modern Life. There's all these videos that point out the like kind of like sexual innuendos and stuff like that. Which that is funny. I won't lie. Like we show a couple in the documentary, like in. Rocco, he goes to the doctor and it's called Dr. Bendova, you know, like mm-hmm. that's kind of, that's funny, you know, Yeah. But, but Doug didn't have any of that yeah. and it's still cool. And I think that makes it even better. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I love Doug. I mean, I think, I think, you know, part of the thing about Doug is it just falls under that umbrella of being one of those original Nicktoons. I mean, the, yeah. like you said, the shows aren't explicitly really relatable even to each other other than they're just cool. And yeah. I mean, I think just that's it right there is, you know, it just yeah was a part of being a kid. I mean, it showed yeah. that almost more normal, wholesome side and less wacky side, but it was still very creative and 
Just, it was a good balance. Yeah, learn a lot from it. Yeah. Like the quail man and stuff yeah. like that was yeah. insane. The, the whole quail man thing, you know, Jim Jenkins talking <laughs> about the quail being the most unlikely, you know, superpower or whatever, because what does a quail do? It's patient. It sits yeah. there and just waits for you to go by. And yeah. I, I mean, I didn't realize that as a kid, but pointing that out now, I mean, I think that really speaks to a lot of people that maybe yeah. their superpower really is just patient. Yeah. Just chilling out. I think the eighties and early nineties had a lot of, um, especially for boys, like bad role models, like mm-hmm. Zach Morris and stuff like that, you know, like yeah. people that you probably shouldn't be like, you know, <laughs> and Doug was, you know, um, really cool with Patty. He was very respectful. And I think he modeled, uh, you know, not to get too Mr. Rogers here, but <laughs> I think he, he modeled good behavior. Yeah. You know, he, he didn't, you know, like, there's like that tire, like the nerd finally gets the hot girl at the very end. That was in every stupid eighties movie ever, you know? And like, <laughs> if she, if she turns you down, just keep trying until she says yes. It's like, what? <laughs> no, don't do it. If someone's not interested then freaking move on, you know? And, um, and I think that's great that, that they, they, it was better. And I think too, there's something about those feelings that you feel for somebody when you start having like romantic feelings yeah. for people it is weird. It's awkward to deal with because you didn't have them. And now all of a sudden you do. And I think that's difficult to talk to kids about, you know, I have kids that are about that age now. And it's just that you can tell they're like, nah, shut up. You know, they don't want to talk about it. And so we all, when we were 10, 11, we all had a patty mayonnaise, whether you're a boy or a girl, you had somebody that you probably had a crush on and didn't know what is this feeling? I don't understand it. You know, we had that. And, and I think the fact that it was a cartoon like if you were an 11 year old and you were watching a real, not animated, but a live action boy and girl act like that, it might've made you feel uncomfortable yeah. mm-hmm. to watch them kind of like kiss or I mean, they never really kissed, but like, I think she kissed them on the cheek and they yeah. kind of would hold hands. But the fact that it was an animated show, I think kids could have that separation yeah. and you could kind of watch it a little bit easier, if that makes sense. I think yeah. the fact that it was animated just... It, it made it not feel as awkward for kids to watch. Absolutely. Totally. It, made, it made it more accessible. You yes, know? accessible, yeah. And that just made it a little bit easier for everyone. Totally, yeah, I mean, but, absolutely. But then, you know, it's, it's almost like you had a progression of that feeling in, in Doug with Patty, Patty Mayonnaise or whatever to then going to Big Pete on PP. Yeah. I mean, watching his relationship with the girl play out, you know, it's like you're a girl and you're a friend, but you're not a girlfriend. And, yeah. You know, it it that even poked fun at the whole situation, too, in a way that didn't make it feel awkward to watch. You know, it, right. it, it was relatable. It, it was really relatable in how it kind of towed that line between like, I'm a kid and I'm starting to experience these feelings for somebody, but they're my friend, but what the hell is happening? What's happening, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And Pete, I think, yeah, that's a good point. And Pete and Pete was, even though it wasn't a cartoon, it was kind of cartoonish. It was this weird world where the mom had a plate in her head that she could get secret messages and little Pete had a tattoo on his arm that nobody knew where it came from. Nobody knew where it came from. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think that probably helped it uh, a little bit, too. And it like, yeah, because we watched Big Pete grow up on cameras. So to see him, he probably did look at, um, you know, uh, Ellen as a friend. And then Ah. all of a sudden and, and, you know, it's really similar to Sam and Clarissa's um, relationship. But Sam and Clarissa never did cross that line. And I think that that shows kids there's a multitude 
uh, of ways, you know, I think Sam and Clarissa probably were just friends. Yeah. Uh, Ellen and Pete maybe weren't. Maybe they, they, they obviously felt something else for each other because they, they do act on those feelings. And I think it just showed kids, there's, hey, there's a lot of different things that can happen here. There's no yeah. one way to solve a problem. There's no one way that your life is going to go. And, and they're all, they can all be okay. They can all be because, okay. Yes. Yeah. This situation for you turned out differently than it did for your friend over there. Doesn't mean it's bad or wrong. That's, right. Yeah. And that's fine. And I think, you know, again, yeah. that's what Nickelodeon really did. And they just showed what it was like to be an average kid. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. They did. I think that's why people, that was another thing that they did have in common. You know, I, I know I said there was no common thread, but I think if there was one, all the kids just felt real. Yeah. Whereas the Disney channel, not to knock it because those kids are incredibly talented. Mm-hmm. Like on the Mickey mouse club, they can sing and dance and they're amazing, but it was just, it gave you a different feeling being like, okay, I'm being entertained. Yeah. But, but, but I, I never felt like the Mickey mouse club was someone that, that would want to hang out with me, yeah. you know, whereas, um, you know, Pete and Pete or, uh, you know, the midnight society, yeah. uh, or even Sam and Clarissa, you felt like, maybe I could hang with these people. Maybe oh, they'd be my friends. You know, they yeah. seem normal. Like they, t- uh, Melissa Joan Hart talks in there. They didn't not put a lot of makeup on her. And that's yeah. awesome. And you know? I love that her mom didn't let them touch her eyebrows yeah. because as a nineties girl, I touched my, I, I, I did the whole, like, I should have listened to my mom not touch my <laughs> eyebrows. So I appreciate that about Nickelodeon. They easily could have, you know, done the whole, like put her in hours of hair and makeup, but they were like, no, yeah. she's a 12 year old girl. Let her be a 12 year old girl. She looked like a regular 12 year old kid. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, salute your shorts. Those kids yeah. all look just regular. You know, there's yeah. somebody, no matter what your thing is, you can relate to somebody. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Right. I mean, I would I would much rather go hang out with the kids at Camp Onawana <laughs> than go hang out at the Mickey Mouse Club, you know? Yeah, totally. It, it, <laughs> I would watch the Mickey Mouse Club. Yeah, I would, I would wa- go yeah. hang out with Camp Onawana yeah. and, you know. Yeah. I just don't want an awful waffle. Uh, no awful waffles, please. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> and, and they still weren't able to fully define what an awful waffle was. I always joke in this documentary, we ask three questions. What's an awful waffle? What's in the green slime? And what's in that powder that they throw on the fire? One of them does get answered. Yeah, One of them yeah. does get answered. Yeah, yeah. So so 90s kids listening, you're going to have to watch the documentary, The Orange Years, to find out which of the three you yes. find the answer Because we them. can't spoil it. We're not going to spoil right. it. <laughs> but one of them does definitively get answered. Absolutely. I think in a pretty in a pretty funny way. Absolutely. Well, so just kind of in closing, what what is the message that you hope that this project um, portrays or emotions that it evokes? Because I know you were talking about it being a story, but it's also nostalgic. What's the message? I hope you know we're living in some you know wild times, and um, sometimes it felt almost wrong to be, you know, like I felt like, oh man, I should be using my skills for something different. And I do want to do that. But I think there, there is something to be said for just making something that makes people smile and have a good time, even if it's just for 90 minutes and all the craziness in the world. Uh, Sometimes, you know, it's cool to just be the court jester. And if that's, you know, that's what you're doing, you're making people smile. um, That's okay. And, and so I hope that it just makes people smile and they go, wow, you know, the, the world was a cool place and, you know, maybe we can get to a good place again one day. You know, I, I, I don't, I'm nostalgic, but I think that, that the best time to live in um, hasn't happened yet. And, and, and it will. 
And, and I think that there's a lot of things from the past we can learn, you know, like I love the fact that like you mentioned how many women there were at the top, you know, as we go into this world where people wonder, well, what will, what will happen if we start diversifying our writers and directors? Well, you don't have to wonder it did happen. And uh, the proof is in the pudding because it was awesome. So, um, you know, there's a great, there's a lot of power in showing, um, getting a bunch of different views of the world from different people. And we need to do that even more, you know, than ever now. And I, I hope that we lift up people that maybe were more behind the scenes, you know, that, give, give props to people that you didn't know that basically shaped your ch- whole childhood. You know? Absolutely. And uh, I hope people find out about those people and become fans of people that maybe they didn't know. That's what I really hope. And I hope that, you know, people that are, that are in the entertainment industry can learn from these people that we interviewed of, of if you want to make something that really connects with people, here's how, here's how you can do it. You know, be authentic, be true to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, I know we have to make money, but don't let that be your, your North star. Don't let yeah. that be your only, yeah. your only, um, guide. Yeah. And trust your intuition. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they all just trusted. They just, they trusted. Yeah. The, and, and I mean, I don't know them personally. And I mean, they, they didn't really go into this at all, but, but it's kind of like, even if you fail, you learn something, you keep on moving on. Like they all, I mean, that's the attitude that I really drew from them was just, just do it. Me too. (laughs) You have to fail. You have, you know, and that's what I feel like is missing today. Nobody wants to fail. So there's so much stuff that's like just good enough. Uh You know, it's like, we have to make something that's like just good enough. um, That's safe, you know, that follows a formula. You know, but yes, I mean, because Nickelodeon, there were some shows that were not successful, you yeah. know, but you had to have those, yep. you know, because if you're not, you, if, if, you, if you're not failing, then you're not taking risks. And yep. if you don't take a risk, you'll never make something really magical. And, that, and that's what they did. You know, yeah. that's what they did. I can't think of a bigger risk than Ren and Stimpy, and they nailed it. <laughs> yeah, right. Ren and Stimpy was rough. <laughs> that I mean, was a risk, it, and it was perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. Mean, I, th- I think, you know, you guys even say it in the documentary, but that was, you know, one of the interesting things is that Ren and Stimpy was almost designed and aimed at the MTV audience. Yeah. yeah. But it got put on Nickelodeon. But when you look at it now, it definitely feels like an MTV show. It does, yeah. But somehow it worked for Nickelodeon. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was it was irreverent. It was ra- raucous. I mean, it was. Yeah. It was brilliant. Yeah. And that's what we show. We show that commercial in there. It, it was it was literally playing on Nickelodeon and MTV at the same time, yeah. and both people loved it, and 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 both demographics loved it. And I think that 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 was the importance of that show is it made um, I think it was one of the first cartoons um, that uh, that older people watch, not yeah. children, but like teenagers and hipsters yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. Now that's all over the place. There's yeah. tons of cartoons that people in their 20s and 30s watch. Yeah. Um, and I think that was one of the first ones that showed that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I wish we could. We, we cut the Ren and Stimpy part per, a little shorter than. I, I originally wanted to part of, you know, there was a lot of reasons behind that. Yeah. Um, you know, one of them is 
obvious and the other is they were there's a documentary out about it oh, called got it, got happy it. happy joy joy that um is really cool it's really yeah. cool they do a good job yeah um but yeah they were fighting mtv and nickelodeon even though they were owned by the same company they were fighting for that show yeah but but at the time nickelodeon was like we we can't give this show up because this is our most successful show we've ever had yeah you know it was yeah. that big yeah i love it I love it. It was even, I mean, we have the Clueless poster back here. It was even in Clueless when she's oh, watching yeah. Stimpy and, mm -hmm. and Paul Rudd, you know, grabs the remote away and turns on the news and she's like, this is Ren and Stimpy. Hello. Yeah, that's yeah. right. It, it became part of Americana. It was yeah. just that big. It was Absolutely. that big. And it does feel more like in line with like Beavis and Butthead yeah. or totally. Eon Flux or something yeah. than say Doug for sure. Yeah. It should have been. And it goes to show that it. we talk about that. It was a village that made that show. It mm -hmm. wasn't, no show is ever one person, yeah. you know, right. like, and, and um, you can see like that later on the, the creator of that show, John Chris Felusi, he got to make the show the way he wanted um, on, I think it was like spike TV or something like that, where it was just crazy. And it, I mean, in my opinion, it just wasn't as cool. You know, yeah. it, you needed those other people to kind of, Rain it in a little bit, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Towing that line of just just naughty enough without because uh -huh. on the on the there, there's a gif that goes around gif gif however you say it where uh, it's like remember this was a show that we actually watched as kids and it's like Ren and Stimpy in this very provocative position I think like cutting a log or something like that and that actually was never on Nickelodeon that okay. was on the adult show that that was on Spike TV uh, years later. Okay. And when, when when the potty humor became no more, it wasn't tongue in cheek. It was just yeah out there. It yeah. wasn't. It wasn't as. It wasn't as cool. It didn't have the magic. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that like oomph behind it. That sparkle yes. behind it. Yeah. And when, when you look at that show, the people that worked on it, what they went on to do is insane. The people behind Shrek, it's crazy. Like yeah. that goes to show how how important that show truly was. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, I have uh, one last question. I think Eric has one last question, too. So my question is, would you get a Petunia tattoo on your forearm for a million dollars? Ooh. I think I would. For a million dollars? Yeah, I would. <laughs> I okay. totally would. Okay. All right. Would, yeah. Would you guys? I would. I would, too. Um, I, he already had I a house one. I already have one. <laughs> Can't, yeah, it's there it, but it dances. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, we were watching that, and I was, and and I was like, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna ask God if he got, if he would get one for a million dollars, and I was like, because I would, and Eric's like, I kind of have one. Yeah, I kind of already. I, I love, I love the quote that that uh, what was it Danny Tem Tamborelli says where. Somebody did something illegal to a child, and we put it on Nickelodeon. Put on Nickelodeon. <laughs> as a kid, you're not thinking of that at all. You just think it's no. hilarious. But then as an adult, it's like, so wait, he just woke. That means someone probably kidnapped him in the middle of the night and <laughs> tattooed that on him. Like, that's awful. Like, someone yeah. needs to call the police or something. Yeah. Like, someone needs to be in jail for the rest of their life for, like, doing that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 I've thought about getting, like, a tattoo. Like, I I've thought about that. Like, would, would I get a tattoo for all the documentaries that I make like some sort of tattoo I thought about like what would I get uh for Nickelodeon I didn't even think about that I've kind of not gone below the elbow but maybe for that I would <laughs> 
I love that. Yeah. yeah well, if you do, idea. make sure you take pictures and uh, send them our way so we can see. I it. will. That would be yeah. so tight. <laughs> I love it. Uh, and then, so so my last question is, uh, I was familiarizing myself with your IMDb, and uh, I was wondering if you could tell me anything about this Guar uh, documentary. Yeah. Oh, man. Thanks. If you're able. If you're able. I mean, we can. Yeah. yeah. I'm a huge Guar fan. I've still got Guar blood on one of my jackets. I mean. Awesome. Yeah. I love talking about that. And I'm, I'm allowed to, for sure. That's why. We, 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 we thought about that. We, we, once we put it up, people could potentially find out about this. Um, yeah, I guess my thing is that I love making documentaries where I get slimed. I guess that's like, I guess that's like my thing. Um, and I'm, uh, some people might say, you know, it's crazy to go from Nickelodeon to Guar, but there's so many similarities in a weird way. Um, you know, they both, I love people that do things the way they want to do it and don't yeah. care. And you yeah. look at Guar, like when they first, uh, so for anyone listening, um, Guar is a heavy metal band that, uh, that is made up of interplanetary barbarians <laughs> who have been banished to the most horrible planet <laughs> that anyone could find, which is earth. And they've been here for millions of years and they hate humanity and want to play rock and roll to pass the time and just kill all of us. So when you go to a concert, you're just going to get covered in blood and other fluids, all sorts of stuff. <laughs> and they're awesome. Um, and, uh, and I love Guar. I've always loved Guar. And I knew a friend that, that it was similar to the Nickelodeon thing where I knew a guy who opened up for Guar. And I was thinking that was on my list of things that maybe would be cool to do. And then once I started doing some research, it was a lot like the Nickelodeon one where I said, oh, my God, somebody's got to make a documentary about Guar, and I hope it's me. And um, so I reached out to Guar and talked to them, and they were into it. And we've been working on it for about a couple of years now. Wow. Um, right as Orange Years was done filming and was in po- towards the end of post-production. Uh-huh. Well, and one thing is the Orange Years has been done for two years. Like We, yeah. we debuted it at Doc NYC back in 2018. But uh, a bunch of crazy stuff happened uh, that that delayed it for like two years, but it's mm-hmm. finally out. Um, so I've been working on this Guar one for a long time, and I took a lot of what I learned from the Nickelodeon documentary, yeah. what, I, what I felt I did right and what I felt I did wrong mm-hmm. and what I can do to be a better filmmaker and have applied it. Uh, you know, one, I will say working against a big corporation was difficult. Uh-huh. You know, we, we made the Nickelodeon documentary without Nickelodeon's help and they mm-hmm. didn't really care. They, they, if anything, they were, um, you know, they just didn't, they didn't care, you know, yeah. and it hurt us a lot um, because people, you know, one, one criticism we get, which, you know, we didn't want to make a negative documentary, but they're like, oh, it's funny that there's nothing bad in your documentary at all. And we're like, yeah, well, I mean, one, that's just not the story that we wanted to tell, yeah. you know? Yeah. But also, um, you know, a lot of people just were like, I, I ain't saying nothing bad about Viacom <laughs> on camera, you know? Um, <laughs> and, and we had to really work hard to get all the photos and videos, mm-hmm. you know? Um, whereas with Guar, I'm working with them. Yeah. So they, I have their blessing. Yeah. And they're giving me uh, Bob Gorman of, of Guar. Um, he plays Bone Snapper. He's given me so many photos. They all are the, the most amazing people. So what I'm really trying to do with that is show whatever you think about Guar is wrong. 
yeah. a lot of people would look at them and go, oh, that's a big, dumb, heavy metal band. Not at all. Mm-hmm. They're amazing musicians, amazing artists, and they're not even a band. They consider themselves more like Monty Python than something like Slayer. Like yeah. they are, they are a traveling circus. They are artists. Yeah. yeah. And there's also like some people will talk to me, and they'll be like, they're kind of like, like I'll explain it to them, and they'll be like, oh, they're like Slipknot or ICP, and I'm like, no, not at oh. all. And they're like, they're like, well, what's different? And I, and I, and the thing is that what I would say for people that don't know about Guar but maybe watch Adult Swim is they're kind of like that show Metalocalypse mm-hmm. or maybe like the mockumentary Spinal Tap where Guar is in on the joke they're making fun of heavy metal every bit as much as they're celebrating it yeah Yeah. you know they're poking fun of rock and roll they really are they're a satire in a way yeah i love that um and they're just amazing people they're amazing people um slimenstra hyman the the female of the group throughout all the 90s she's another badass woman like uh that i can't wait for people to hear her story she's really cool um the whole thing is great. So we, we've got to interview a lot of cool people for that documentary. You know, one thing when I do bring up Guar, people don't know who it is. And I'm like, you remember Empire Records? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, remember when the dude eats a pop brownie and he envisions himself getting eaten? They're like, oh, yeah, that's Guar. So that's yeah. how a lot of people know them is Empire Records. And yeah. we did we did get to interview Ethan Embry, who's the kid that they eat. <gasps> that's so Very cool. And we interviewed, uh, yeah, Weird Al. I mean, just a lot of, like, bizarre people you wouldn't think for this documentary. And that's, and you know, I don't want it to feel like a heavy metal doc. It doesn't feel like a heavy metal doc at all. It's just a story of some people that no matter what the industry told them to do, they did whatever they wanted to do all these years. They've had friends pass away and they've kept going. Mm -hmm. They continue to go to this very day. And I think it's just anybody, that's what I say, whether even if you hate heavy metal and they're like, oh, I don't listen to that. It's like, it does not matter. Like this is a human story of people that followed their dreams. Cause let's face it, the musicians in Guar could have gone on to be in a rap rock or whatever band if they had wanted to. They could go pump out a bunch of Creed or Nickelback sounding songs and be millionaires if they wanted to. The artists in the band, which that's something that's funny, the the people that don't play instruments but make the costumes are every bit as member, every bit as much members of Guar as the the guitar players and drummers and a bass player. That is so Um, cool. But those guys could have gone on to go work in Hollywood and work in horror films, but they haven't. That's you know, so they could, neat. they stayed true. So I know I, I probably said too much, but that's what I can tell you about the Guardian. Okay, I'm really excited. It. We're still a little <laughs> ways from being done. We're, yeah. we're, um, we're editing that thing right now. Yeah. Um, but we have finished filming it and we're editing it and we're hoping to get that out pretty quick. I cannot wait to see it. I cannot wait to see it. It's going to be incredible. Yeah. Can't wait. <laughs> well, Scott Barber, thank you so much. Where can we find you? Is there is there any way our 90s kids can find you, follow you, keep track of, of your work? I'm not on social media, but um, the Orange Years is. We, have, we always have new information coming out. We've kind of been dormant for a little while because there just hasn't been anything to say. Mm-hmm. But um, Instagram is great. Instagram is probably where we're the most active. Great. Um, I had to learn how to use Instagram <laughs> for this uh movie (laughs) yeah yeah um and but we have a facebook and an instagram and a twitter and that's a great way to get all of us we love hearing from people um we love hearing what their favorite show was like 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 you you said at the beginning of this it just it ties us all together 
So we love, you know, feeling like that's the best compliment. I don't really care what a critic or a corporation thinks of my movie. I love hearing what other people, if it meant something to you, if it didn't mean something to you, if you thought we could have done something better. Like I love hearing that from fans more than anything. Awesome. Well, we'll put all of your um, handles and links in the show notes so our uh, 90s kids can follow along. Um, And yeah, Scott... I cannot thank you enough for spending the, the evening with us talking about like our childhoods um, and the, that beautiful uh, orange couch. <laughs> Pleasure is all mine. I love yeah. getting even after making a documentary. I, I I love. I can never. I'm not tired of it. I, yeah. I love. I love getting to talk uh, with people about it. So, thanks for giving me a cool place where I could do that. You guys are great. Um, you guys are great. I re- I appreciate everything you did. All right, 90s kids, we're going to leave it there. Thank you so much for listening. Please remember to follow us on social media, Pod on Twitter, Talk to the Hand Pod on Instagram. You can email us at talktothehandpod at gmail.com or visit our website at talktothehandpod.com. And don't forget, leave a five-star review and uh, your name in the comments, and we will enter you in to our TTTH Pod giveaway the month of March. So make sure you do that. And uh, we have a great another great episode coming your way next week. And our nostalgic topics. So until then, mask up, socially distance, be a good human, and be excellent to each other. Thanks, everyone. Have a great week. <laughs>